to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. As I was as I was praying and and just studying this morning, these things jumped in my spirit and uh, I started just kind of doing a little bit of research on some of these statistics and stuff. But I want to give you three things today on the broadcast, three extremely important things that I wish every Christian knew. Three extremely important things that I wish every Christian knew. And I don't say that lightly. I, I really, really believe it. I really believe that these three things that I'm going to give you today are vital, like extremely vital. And I can't emphasize it enough. And uh, I, I was going to, I had a couple of more, but I was like, you know what? These are so important. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get through them because there's, there's something to say about them and uh, about each one, probably more than I have time to say, but I'm going to do my best. But I really want you guys to not only hear this, write these down, uh, mark your Bible up, make, uh, make notes for yourself because if when, when I'm done showing you this today, it, it's amazing to me how the body of Christ, the church at large could explode, could literally explode. I'm talking about new Testament first 100 years kind of stuff explode. If people saw these three things and, uh, that's why I'm going to give them to you today and, and help you to see it. Hey, Pam, good morning. And so, uh, I want you, if you would, to start with me and, um, let's go to Mark chapter 16. I want to start in Mark chapter 16 today. And, uh, I've got a few things that actually are pretty mind blowing. I I was actually very surprised, uh, to read these numbers, um, that I'm going to give you even for this first point, very surprised, but um, I wanted to start in Mark chapter 16 because this is, uh, something that's, that's given by Jesus to his disciples, but really it's, it's for every one of us that's a disciple of Christ. And so, um, we're going to give you these three things. And I tried to, I had, I had like a lot to say about each one. So I tried to like squish it down into the most, you know, memorable, uh, or, or easily recorded, uh, way I could so that you would be able to kind of get the, get it in a nutshell. But, um, you'll see that we're going to put them up on the screen too, for you guys, uh, in just a minute so that you can write them down. But, uh, we're looking at the great commission to start off Mark chapter 16. And, um, I want to show you this and, 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 and read it to you. Listen to this. I'll start reading with verse, uh, number 15. He's speaking to the disciples, his followers. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to everybody. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents and with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he'd spoken to them, was taken into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere 
while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And so notice the command of Christ for every believer, every believer is that they win souls, make disciples. Now, um, this is not just given to the 12 apostles. As you know, this is something that the 12 didn't just do. The 70 did. And then the early church did. And then if you study church history, the church exploded for 300 years under extreme persecution. Why? Because everybody was following this command of Christ. As Dr. Rodney says, it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. And so we're called. But I wanted you to understand today how easy, this is the first thing, how easy uh, winning souls really is and how ripe. Now, the harvest is ripe. Jesus said that. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the harvest is ripe. It's ready to be harvested, ready to be brought in. But I want to say it to you this way, and this is the first thing that I want every Christian to know. It's extremely important. Number one, salvations are next door. And this is the tightest that I could boil it down. Salvations are next door. And I want you to write that in your notes. I want you to put it in your Bible under Mark 16 if you want. Just literally, this is, and I, wait till you hear this. This is, my, this is mind-blowing to me. But salvations are next door. Um, you probably, and I wrote this in my notes, and I want, you, I want to read it to you. You probably know at least three people who would come to Christ immediately if you'd lead them. You probably know at least three people at least three people that would come to Christ immediately if you would lead them. I mean that. That's how ripe the harvest is. And of course, you see on your screen right now, salvations are next door. What does that mean? They're all around you. They're all around you. You don't have to travel to some distant place. You don't have to go hold a crusade in another nation. Literally, salvations are at your school, on your job in your family. Salvations are with your friends. And I'm talking about what we call hot evangelism, not cold evangelism. The difference is cold evangelism is when you go knock on somebody's door that you don't even know and say, hey, I want to tell you about you or meet someone on the street or whatever. Hot evangelism is when you're dealing with people whom you already have a relationship with, people at work, people that are your friends, whatever. Salvations are next door. They're next door. And so I want to give you a few statistics that I think these are going to blow your mind. These will literally blow your mind. They blew mine. But I want you to see how close souls are to you. How close souls are right in your neighborhood, right on your job. Now, this blew me away. First of all, according to backtochurch.com, they do a lot of studies about, you know, getting people back into the church, how to better evangelize, uh, different um, campaigns and missions to get people back into the church. As their name suggests, according to backtochurch.com and their research, 70% of unchurched people have never been invited to church. Think about that. Seven out of 10 unchurched people have never been invited to church ever. Think about how crazy this is. 
Think about, especially in this postmodern society, how many people you know that just don't go to church? Seven out of 10 of them, they've never been invited. And, and let me break this down too, because one of the reasons they're not in church is because nobody's ever invited them. And the statistics prove that. I'm going to give it to you. There's a man named Dr. Tom Rainier. He released a book entitled The Unchurched Next Door. His book is called The Unchurched Next Door. Dr. Tom Rainier, T-H-O-M. And um, in his book, he breaks this down. Listen to this. He said 82% of unchurched people say that they're likely to attend if they'd be invited to a church. 82% of unchurched people would be willing to attend church if somebody invited them. That's by actual poll. So yeah, I would go. I'm Likely I would go with them. Think about that. Now, 70% of unchurched people have never been invited at all. 82% of unchurched people would go to church if somebody would just ask them. Isn't that crazy? They would just, they say, yeah, I'd absolutely go. I've just never been invited. Listen to this now, the last one I wanted to give you. This is, this blows my mind, man. According, same book, Dr. Rainier's book, only 2% of church members invite unchurched people to church every year. <laughs> Think about this for a minute. Only 2% of Christians actively invite unchurched people to church. Let that sink in. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. Let that sink into your spirit. You've got a harvest that's ripe. People are ready to be saved. Especially now. One thing you'll, you'll realize, even looking through history, in times of crisis, more than ever, people look for help. They look for help. And that's why we have the, the phrase or the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. It's because when there's trouble, people know they need help. You don't have the luxury of saying, well, I don't believe in that. You need to believe in something. When there's bullets flying over your head and people are dying, when people are dropping like flies all around you, people need help and they know they need help. They know they need help. And it blows my mind that we're living in a day right now where people are ready to be harvested. I mean, literally the harvest is more ripe than it's ever been. And, there, and that's why I said salvations, number one, are next door. Salvations are next door. People around you are ready to give their heart to Jesus Christ. They're ready to come into the kingdom. But you know what really the enemy has used to keep us from being unfruitful in this area? Now, let's ask ourselves the question to help, to help ourselves break it down. Okay, so if only 2% of church people are inviting anybody to church in a given year, the real question is, and we know they'd come if we invited them. The real question is, what's stopping the other 98% of people from inviting others to church? And I want you to write it in the comments. I mean, I want you to write it so that you have this solidified in your spirit. Salvations are next door. I mean, it can't be any more simple than that. 
You don't even have to travel a hundred miles. You don't have to go to some great crusade. Salvations, they might be in the cubicle next to you at work. That close. That close. So I want you to put it in the comments. Salvations are next door. They're next door. So let's ask ourselves the question. If only 2% of church people are inviting people to church every year, what is it that's stopping the other 98% of people from inviting people to church? Well, I think we could easily uh, break that down. I really do. I really think we could easily break it down. Um, One of the things that I think is a massive a massive reason that people are not being invited to church is, uh, well, in, in, in this article, he gives four. Everyone I know already goes to church. That's their answer. Everybody I know already goes to church. So they don't invite anybody. They don't seek out anybody. They're wor- so a better way to say it is they've let their world become too small. They've let their world become too small. You don't know anybody that doesn't go to church. You don't know one person who does not attend church. Your world is too small. That's one problem. Um, the second answer, I've already asked so-and-so so many times. I've already asked them so many times they don't come. Here's the problem of, I always use this analogy. If I was cutting the grass with a, a push lawnmower, imagine if I was cutting my grass and there's a stump where we had a cut, a tree cut down. This actually, I used to do this at my, our, our home in West Virginia. I would cut the grass for my father. We did have a stump in the yard where the tree was cut down. I would cut the grass in square patterns ending in the middle. Can you imagine if I got to that stump and just kept trying to push that lawnmower through the tree stump and then just got all, you know, irritated, let the lawnmower go off and walked inside with the grass only 20% cut and said, hey, Sorry, dad, I can't cut the grass. That tree stumps in the way. No, anybody with a brain understands you go around the tree stump and keep on cutting. And that's the same way it is in the harvest field. If you come into a person or come in contact with a person that is uh, acting like a stump, they will not be moved. I'm not going to church. I'm not giving my heart to Jesus. Don't let your whole soul winning life be thwarted by one stump in the field. Just go around them and keep on cutting, keep on harvesting. Did you know that's a scriptural principle? Jesus said to his disciples, if you go into a town, village, or city and preach the gospel and the people there don't receive it, notice he didn't tell them, stay there for 20 years until there's a revival in the city. No, he said, shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. That's, that's a powerful thought. Shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. You know, if you've been trying and trying on this person for, you know, however long, just at, at some point, go around them and go after other people that may be more open to what the Lord is doing. Don't be uh, canceled in your soul winning life because of one person. That was another thing. I've asked so-and-so so so many times. Number three, I'm afraid they'll think I'm being pushy. That's a reason. 
Or what if they say no? Someone had already put it in the comments, fear of rejection. One of the reasons is people don't have enough boldness. And that's why, what if they think I'm being pushy? What, what if they say no? Not enough boldness. So there's a few ingredients that are necessary to be a, an effective soul winner. Urgency is one. We've done broadcasts and podcasts on this before. Urgency is one. You've got to understand time's running out. Jesus is coming. Urgency needs to be in your spirit. Boldness goes along with urgency. When you recognize the urgency, it establishes a boldness in you, right? Um, one of the thing that, one of the things that's very interesting to me is you might be a quiet person. You might be very introverted, but if you saw your child from across, let's say a mall getting ready to do something very dangerous, maybe they were like, maybe you were on like the third floor of a mall and your little toddler is pulling themselves up on the banister. You understand? Uh, like getting ready to fall off three stories down to the bottom. You might be an introverted person. You might be, uh, you know, a very quiet and reserved person. But if you saw your toddler getting ready to go off the edge of a, a three-story balcony in a mall, you might shout and scream across that mall, get down. I mean, you wouldn't normally do that. But what provoked you to come out of your shell? What provoked you to be loud when you're normally quiet? It was the urgency of what you saw taking place, impending doom. And that's the thing that should make every believer bold. The urgency of knowing that eternity is around the corner, Jesus is coming, and time's running out. So it takes urgency, it takes boldness, and it takes love, right? It takes love for people. And that's the, that's the key. When you have a love for people, and that, that's, what, that's what provokes you to move when the urgency, you know, if you didn't care about people, you say, hey, let them go to hell. What do I care? Bunch of sons of guns. You know, it's like, I don't care about them. They need to burn. That's how some people's hearts are. That's how some people's hearts are. They don't care for the lost at all. But when the love of God fills your heart and you have an understanding that God loves all men and women, and wants to see them saved and not see them perish. And when you take the heart of God on as your agenda, your love for people now moves you into urgency, which moves you into boldness. And I'm just telling you right now that we've been so consumed and, and I'll just, I'll give you something that will may, may shock you, but the movement, the seeker sensitive movement in the church has turned uh, the focus from outside the church to inside the church. What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? What's for me? What's my blood? It all becomes self-centered. Christianity is not self-centered. Christianity is not self-centered. And, and can I, can I show you something? Very interesting. Uh, one of the things that happened with the seeker sensitive movement is we began to customize our church services to appeal to people who are dead in their trespasses and in their sins. This was a huge mistake in retrospect, a massive mistake. We customized our church services to appeal to those dead 
in trespasses and in, the, and in their sins. We made our church services entertainment centers to appeal to the flesh nature of a dead person. And in the Bible, that's never what church was about. In fact, in the Bible, church was about Christians, not sinners. It wasn't about sinners. It's about Christians. But then Christians were uh, empowered and they were enabled, sent out to win the lost. See, that's one of the mindsets that we have to break, that it's the pastor's job to win the lost. No, it's not. It's every Christian's job to win the lost. It's every Christian's job to win the lost. And see, when we do what we're called to do is Mark 16, where we started today, noticing salvations are next door, that we have the ability. I guarantee you, I guarantee you right now that there's at least three people you know that are ready right now to accept Jesus if you lead them. There's people that are hurting, troubled, dying. They might mask it with a smile, with a laugh at work. They might act like everything's fine and everything's cool, but inside they're hurting. I've seen that so many times that guys will come, you know, this blows my mind. People that look the toughest, that look the toughest will come to the altar and give their heart to Jesus. I look at big old guys in the back, construction workers, sit there with a whole service with their arms folded, watching me down their nose. And I'll just preach the fire of God. And I'll watch till they come to the end and I'll give the altar call for salvation. They'll get up out of their seat, come to the altar, tears streaming down their big old faces. They look so tough. They look so, so much like they were rejecting it, but the Lord was working on their heart and they look like they were, they, I don't need it, but inside they're hurting inside. They need it. I was preaching in uh, Massachusetts this year. Young man came in. I love him. He, uh, he was a Latin King in the gang, in a gang, Latin Kings and, uh, had been in prison, you know, had stabbed people. I mean, all kinds of stuff selling drugs. And, um, he came in with his girlfriend to the revival and he's sitting in his chair, you know, just slouched down kind of like this stuff is all fake. In fact, he told me that, uh, he saw me pray for a couple of people that I pulled out. They went out under the power of God. They went out in the Holy ghost and he turned to his girlfriend and was like, that is so fake. He was like, that would never, ever happen to me. And he's sitting there like just judging me pretty much the whole service, watching me, you know, and then I saw him start leaning forward and listening to me, listening to me preach. And I I saw him kind of engaging. And at the end of the service, I gave the altar call for salvation. He got out of his seat and came to the altar and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. After we prayed the prayer of salvation, I was laying hands on the new believers and I laid hands on him. He went out in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) First thing, he came back to the, see me at the green room afterwards. He said, are you the guy that made me fall down? (laughs) Oh yeah, because understand something. There are many people that everything looks fine on the outside. Some even look like they're too tough for it, too, you know, don't need it. Everything's cool in my life, but inside they're hurting and they're waiting for you. They're not waiting for me. They're waiting for you. Salvations are next door. I wish people could see how close I wish we could literally ask the Lord to give us vision in the unseen realm, in the spirit realm, 
to see where people are at in the spirit, to see that this person, they put on a front, they look tough, they look fine. Inside, they're hurting. Inside, they need Jesus. And you look at these statistics and see how many people are ready to come to Christ. 82% of people, I would go to church if somebody would just invite me. Somebody would just invite me. Somebody would just bring me. Bring me. Eight, I mean, line them up. Eight out of 10 people, if you asked them, they'd say yes. But only 2% of people are asking. Only 2% of people are asking. Don't be in that 98% that never invites people to come to church. Don't be that person. I agree with AJ. Rough men make the best Christians. That's right, Christina. Underneath the anger and the toughness is pain. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Don't be in the 98%. Don't, don't, um, don't get hard in your heart. Don't get hard in your spirit towards this generation, towards people that are wicked. Don't, don't get hardened in your heart. Have a love for people. Have a love for people because that will put, in fact, pray and ask the Lord, make it a prayer point. Say, Lord, give me a supernatural love for people. Give me a supernatural love for the unsaved, for those that don't know you. Give me a love for people like I've never had before and use me to bring in the harvest. I mean, make that a prayer point and don't find yourself in the 98% that will not invite somebody to church. We need to be bold and urgent with this message because Jesus is coming. But notice this, they're all around you. They're all around you and they're ready to be saved. That's number one. Three important things I wish every Christian knew. Three important things I wish every Christian knew. Number one was salvations are next door. Salvations are next door. Number two, second thing I wish every Christian knew, stop seeking prophetic words. Stop seeking prophetic words. I'm gonna explain this one. Because as you know well, if you're a part of this broadcast, I'm not against, we're for the gifts of the Spirit. We are, we want to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Uh, My father is as proficient in the gifts of the Spirit, we've seen it in our ministry, as, as you can be. We're not against it, we're for it. But there is a problem in the New Testament church today Because, and I'm going to show you why in the Bible. I'm going to give you scripture for this one. Because people need to see this. Stop seeking prophetic words. There are people that will hop from conference to conference to conference. From revival to revival to revival. And they'll stand at the altar at the end. Even if they've been prayed for three times. They'll they'll wait to talk to the preacher. Do you have a prophetic word for me? Do you have a prophetic word for me? Do you have a prophetic word for me? Stop seeking prophetic words. Stop it. Stop it. Now listen to me. If a prophetic word comes to you, that's one thing. Receive it if it's of the Lord. Receive it if it's of the Lord. Don't despise prophesyings, the Bible says, don't despise prophecy. We want to hear a prophetic word, but I'm not out seeking prophetic words. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a big difference. Big. In fact, I want you to put this in the comments in this way. There's a big difference between receiving a prophetic word and seeking a prophetic word. There's a big difference between receiving a prophetic word and seeking a prophetic word. There's people in the body, they're always looking for another prophetic word. I need a prophetic word. I need a prophetic, you know what I need is a prophetic word. Gotta get a prophetic word. I need, I'm gonna go over there and get a prophetic word. I need a prophetic word. There's people that are so hung up on getting a prophetic word, but there's a big difference between receiving one and seeking one out. Now I wanna explain why this is true. There is a difference between Old Testament and New Testament. So the first thing I would say about this is, in the Old Testament, nobody could be filled with the Holy Ghost. Their bodies weren't ready for it. Their spirits weren't ready for it. There were no Christians in the Old Testament. And so, because they weren't Christians, their spirits weren't renewed, they weren't new creatures in Christ Jesus, they could not handle being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, I can't put new wine into old wine skins. You can't do that. You can't do that. So he had to shed his blood and by grace through faith provide salvation. And then he could fill people with his Holy Spirit, but not before. So in the Old Testament, prophets served a different in a different role than they do in the New Testament. Old Testament prophets served in a different role than they do in the New Testament. Let me explain what I mean. That's why it was so much more severe if you were a false prophet in the Old Testament than it is in the New. In the Old, let me just break it down. In the Old Testament, if you were a false prophet and you prophesied falsely, you were to be killed under the law of Moses. You were stoned to death. False prophets were killed. In the New Testament, it's not that way. In the New Testament, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, prophecy can be judged. It can be judged on whether it's, you know, accurate or inaccurate. And in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul's teaching about prophecy, uh, he's talking about, um, and I'll read it, I'll read you the verse so you know where I'm at. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 29. It says this, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let them weigh or let them judge what is said. What, what, what does that mean? Whether it's of God or not. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. You see that? Look on, look on further. For, for you all, verse 31, can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets for God's not a God of confusion, but peace. They were having chaos in their services. 
But the point here, let two or three prophesy, let the others judge what's said. In the New Testament, prophecy can be judged. I'm sure if I asked you in the broadcast right now, a bunch of you have had people come up to you in a church service and say, I got a word for you, brother. The Lord gave me a word for you. And they gave a word to you or sister, whoever got, got the word. And it wasn't from God at all. And you knew it wasn't from God. <laughs> Throw a hand up in the comments if somebody's ever given you a prophetic word that was really just a pathetic word. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly. I got a word for you, brother. Got a word for you. Got a word for your spirit. A lady came up to my dad recently and said, Brother Ted, I have a word for you. He said, what is it? Said the Lord, the Lord says that you're going to drown this summer. <laughs> he said, no, that's not the word for my life. She said, how do you know? He said, because I can swim. <laughs> There's people that have a word. It's not a word from the Lord. You better be able to judge. You'd better be able to judge whether it's from the Lord or not. See, in the New Testament, we are not led by prophets. And I'll go a step further than that. We're not even led by the prophetic word in the New Testament. Not led by prophets and not led by the prophetic word. I'm not telling you we don't need prophets and I'm not telling you we don't need a prophetic word. We do or else the Holy Ghost would have never given it to us, given it to the church. But Christians are not to be led by prophets and not to be led by the prophetic word. We don't need it as they did in the Old Testament. It's not the same. And I know that's controversial, especially in this prophetic society where everybody's prophetic. There's people that got more prophetic words. I've never seen so many people. There's people with like full three-page dreams transcribed every morning on Instagram, Facebook. There's people hear more from God than the prophet Isaiah. I mean, literally. You can go back to the major prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah. There's people today on Facebook that hear more from the Lord than Isaiah did. <laughs> Got a four-page prophetic word every day. I don't believe you heard that much from the Lord. So understand something. I'm going to break it down why this is the case. You don't need to be seeking out a prophetic word. Two reasons. Two reasons. Are you ready for these? There's two main reasons why we are not led by prophets. Two main reasons. Are you ready? Number one, the first reason is every believer is filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I understand not every believer is baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but every Christian has the Holy Spirit inside of them. Every Christian, he's actually the one that seals your salvation. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit inside them. And so I want you to hear this in the new Testament, according to Paul, we are supposed to be led by the spirit of God personally. I don't need someone else to hear from the Lord and lead me. I've got the same Holy Spirit that they have. And he speaks to me. He speaks to you. You're to be led by the Holy Ghost. It's a very, very, 
very rare thing. Very rare. I'm talking like 99.9% rare. That God will have someone come to you and give you a word by the Holy Ghost to do something, to go somewhere, to do whatever that you didn't hear in your spirit first. I mean, very, very rare. Because the Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. He don't want you to fail. He leads you and guides you into all truth. All truth. And so it would be a very rare thing. If you get a word and it's like out of left field, you've never felt that leading in your spirit. You've never had God tell you that. You've never, you've never even felt to go in that direction. You've never had any inkling from the spirit that lives in you first. I would weigh that word out, make sure it's from the Lord. Let me tell you something. If somebody came to me and said, brother Ted, I just feel my spirit right now. God's making a way. There's an anointing. He is opening up a door. You're going to go and live in India and start a powerful ministry in India. And I'm telling you by the, by 2022, you're going to have a powerful ministry established in India. Listen to me. If the Holy ghost has never once talked to me about doing something in India, if I've never once heard or felt a leading or even a, 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 a you know, a feeling of, of to do, go and do something that by the Holy Ghost, you better believe I'm not going to stand my ministry on that prophetic word. So you know what? That's exactly right. I'm going to sell all my stuff here in the States and I'm going to go and establish that property. I'm going to become a citizen. I'm going to go. In that. It's like, I'm not basing the steps of my life and the steps of my ministry and the steps of my family off of some word that somebody gave me that I have no confirmation of in my own spirit. That's foolishness. The same Holy Ghost dwells in all of us. The same Holy Ghost. And he's not going to contradict himself. And if it's something that important, think, think about this now. If it's something that important, why didn't the Holy Ghost tell you? Think about this. If it's that important, why didn't the Holy Ghost tell you? Was he trying to surprise you? He's not trying to surprise you. He's trying to lead you. Let, let, me, uh, let me say something that'll help you so very much. This will help you so very much. I'm going to say it again, and, I, and then I'm going to explain it. The Holy Ghost is not trying to surprise you. Put that in the comments and never forget this. The Holy Spirit is never trying to surprise you, ever. He's trying to lead you. And so let me break this down. Even Google Maps isn't trying to surprise you. Even Apple Maps is not trying to surprise you. You know what they tell you? In one and a half miles, Take the exit on the right. Even the app doesn't wait until you're 30 feet away at 70 miles an hour from the exit. Go, turn right, turn right. The app's not trying to surprise you. What does, the, what does even the app do? Gives you time to put yourself in position. In one and a half miles, take the exit on the right. What is the app doing? Giving you plenty of time to get in position. In one mile, now there's less time, but I'm still preparing you. In one mile, 
take the exit on the right. In 1,000 feet, take the exit on the right. In 200 feet, take the exit. Not only did it not tell you once, it told you in plenty of time. And the Holy Spirit's the same. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants you to make the right decision. So what does he do? He'll speak to you. He'll speak to you. I don't need a prophet to come out of the blue in a revival service somewhere and tell me something that I've never heard before. That's not how the Holy Spirit works in the New Testament. In fact, let me show you something. There are things, even after a prophet speaks to you in the New Testament, I want to show you something. Go with me to the book of Acts. Even after a prophet speaks to you, you still have a decision to make. Just because you get a word from a prophet doesn't mean necessarily it's coming to pass in your life. Or, you'll, or that you'll follow the word. Sometimes you can get a warning, not follow the warning. That happened to Old Testament and New Testament. Did you know that even your doubt and unbelief, it can't cancel the prophetic word, but it can keep you from partaking in the prophetic word. Just like 2 Kings 7. Elisha said, by this time tomorrow, Food will be sold at the gate and listed for how much during a famine when it should be, should have been much more expensive. The captain of the guard said, even if the Lord opened up the windows of heaven, that couldn't happen. The prophet said, oh, you'll see it, but you won't eat any of it. Next day it happened, but he was trampled at the gate and died. His doubt and unbelief didn't stop God from moving, but it stopped him from partaking. Give you another one. New Testament. Here's, you ever wonder about this? Because here... The, the apostle Paul gets a prophetic word from a real prophet and doesn't, he does not accept it. Meaning he does not heed the warning. Doesn't heed it. Listen to this. Uh, Acts 21, 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I'm not only ready to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. But since, now look at verse 14, this is huge. But since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Notice the prophetic word from Agabus did not persuade Paul. Neither did the weeping of the people that loved him. Now, here's a question for you about the prophetic word. What was the point? What was the point of Paul getting a prophetic word of warning from Agabus, really from the Holy Ghost, about what would happen to him if he went down to Jerusalem. 
What was the point of that? If he wasn't even going to heed the warning and not go there. Now, I believe, and some others that I've spoken to as well, that the Lord was saying, Paul, if you want to do more work for the kingdom, you've got more time if you want it. Go continue to do other things. Plan other churches, launch other ministries, raise up other people. And Paul felt in his spirit like he was done, that he'd done everything that he could do for the Lord. How do I know that? Because when he wrote his last letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul ever wrote in his ministry. He wrote it from Rome where he was going to die. He wrote to Timothy and what did he say? I have run my race. I have finished my course. And so Paul, although this word did come to pass, Paul took a word of warning and didn't heed it. He said, yeah, yeah, I hear the warning. I know I'll be bound. I know I'll be in chains. I know they'll deliver me to the Gentiles. I know they'll kill me. I'm still going. Think about that. We're not led by prophets. He got a warning. He went anyway. We're not led by prophets. We're not led by prophets. The Lord's never going to tell you something. Think about that. Paul, Paul knew it. And the Lord's not going to give you some word out of left field from somebody the Lord's not going to do that if the Holy Ghost isn't already speaking it to you. You see that? The Lord's got to speak it to you. I have to give an account with, for my life when I stand before the Lord. And I'm not led by other people. The second reason is this, and this is a very important reason as well. That's the first reason that you should not be out seeking a prophetic word. People get so weird about that. Why don't you just ask the Holy Spirit to show you? Why are people from going, hopping from conference to conference, revival to revival, meeting to meeting, trying to seek out a prophetic word? When the Holy Ghost who gives the word is in your spirit, why don't you just fast and pray and say, Lord, speak to me, give me direction and he'll do it. If you need wisdom, ask of God, James 1.5. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, what kind of wisdom is God going to give you? Divine wisdom. It's not going to be just natural wisdom. It comes from the Lord. It's divine. For all that are sons of God are led by the spirit of God, Romans 8, 14. So we're led by the spirit and God will give us wisdom. All you have to do is pray. All you have to do is ask. All you got to do is fast. And the Lord will show you. The Holy Ghost is in you. He's in you. But here's the second reason. The second reason that you shouldn't be seeking out prophetic words all the time is that this Bible contains everything that pertains unto life and godliness. I'm going to show that to you from two passages in the New Testament. Go to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Here's what people don't get. I don't think people esteem the Bible high enough. Highly enough. That was, uh, by the way, that was Acts 21, 10 through 14. Acts 21, 10 through 14. I am positive that people don't esteem the Bible highly enough. I'm positive that they don't. The word of God is the greatest treasure it's the greatest treasure. 
that you, that, that the Lord gave us his word. It's the highest force in the universe. It's the, it's the greatest treasure. Notice even when Jesus came, he was the word made into flesh. Think about that. It's the greatest treasure. We've got the Holy Spirit and we've got the word of God. There's nothing else needed. And I want to show you that. This word is enough. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Listen to it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, listen now, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me stop there. Let me just show you what the Bible just said to you. The all scripture, this Bible we hold in our hands is not only breathed out by God, but it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that every man of God, every woman of God may be what? Complete and equipped for every good work. Did you realize that this Bible holds within it every single thing you need to be complete in the kingdom and equipped for not some good works, every good work, which means scripture is sufficient. Anything that can be known about God can be found in this word. Nothing. Now listen to this, because this will freak people out, especially in this prophetic generation. There's nothing that can be learned about God. Nothing outside of the scripture. Nothing. You can't get a revelation from the Lord. You can't get a revelation from the Holy Ghost. You can't get a revelation from a preacher, a man of God. You can't get a word that's prophetic. Nothing can be learned about God that's outside this word. Nothing. Nothing. I'm going to show you that. Second Peter. Go to Second Peter. Chapter 1. Scripture is sufficient. Nothing can be learned about God. Nothing that's outside this word. Think about this. Even Paul, even Paul said in Romans 1 that people have no excuse to say that there's no God because he shows himself to be real just in his creation. Paul said that. Just in his creation. So Paul was saying that you have the ability to look only at creation and say, you know what? I can't say there's not a God. However, it doesn't describe him. It doesn't tell us anything about him other than he exists. And Paul was making the point that the only reason we have that is so that people can be condemned when they reject God. You can't ever say, this is Paul's uh, argument. He said, you can't ever say, well, I didn't even know. He said, you can't say you didn't know. Look at creation. 
Creation is proof. And so you can't say you didn't know. It's proof there's a God. But it doesn't tell us anything about him. Everything that can be known about God is in the Bible. 2 Peter 1, listen to verses 2 and 3. And listen closely. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now listen to verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do you see that? Hear that again. The knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ is what causes grace and peace to be multiplied to us. Verse three, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge, through the knowledge of him. Where else, let me ask you a question. Where else are you going to get knowledge of God? Where else? Where else are you going to find, how else are you going to know his nature, his character? How else are you going to know it? See, that's the whole reason that we were given the mighty word of God. He preserved his word. So you have these two things. It's like somebody came to my father and said, Brother Ted, do you have a word for me? Do you? He said, he gets so tired of people coming up. Do you have a word for me? Do you have a word for me? He'd say, yeah, I got a whole book of them. It's called the Bible. I got a whole book of words. It, it blows my mind. Okay, <laughs> let me show you something that's funny. It blows my mind. I'm not sure what that comment means, MVP Benz. You can't just the word. You'll have to rephrase that one. From Sydney, Australia. Um, it blows my mind that there are people who want always to get a new revelation they always want a prophetic word. They always want to have another experience, but they don't even do the things that are in scripture. It blows my mind. There are people who literally right now are forsaking the assembling of themselves together in, in total contradiction to uh, Hebrews 10, 25. They won't go to church. They won't get out of their house and go to the church because of a spirit of fear. They're afraid. There's pastors that are in total rebellion to God's word because they still have their churches closed down. Total rebellion. Total rebellion. And then there's people that they won't even be, basic command of scripture, go to church. That's right, MVP Benz. Hey, Aaron. So, total rebellion, but they want this, I want another prophetic experience. I want, a, I want a revelation from God. I need a word from God. You don't even do the stuff that's given in the written word. You won't even go to church. You don't even tithe. As I covered in the previous point, they won't even uh, accomplish the great commission. They won't even go out and invite people to church. They won't even win souls but they need another prophetic word. They need another experience in the Holy Ghost. They need God to show himself strong and might. It's like, dude, you don't even do the basics. <laughs> you don't even do the basics. So give me a break on the whole, I need a new miraculous encounter with the most high God. Dude, do what's written in the word. Do what's basic. It's like my, uh, my uncle uh, Terry, Pastor Terry Shuttlesworth has said for years, 
There's people that want to go to Timbuktu. They've never even been to Timbuk One. <laughs> you got to go to Timbuk One before you can go to Timbuk Two. Blow, blows my mind. Won't even do the basic stuff. They're always there. There's this. There's this. It's an error, to be honest with you. It's one thing to be hungry to see God move. It's another thing to overemphasize things that the Bible doesn't even overemphasize, that Jesus didn't even overemphasize, that Paul didn't even overemphasize, the apostles didn't even overemphasize. Paul wasn't teaching the churches to go, everybody, go and seek out prophetic words everywhere you go. Get a prophetic word. You need to get a prophetic word. He wasn't encouraging uh, churches to do that. He wasn't, in, he was not encouraging Christians to do that. You know what he was encouraging them to do? Be led by the spirit. Now he said this, if there is the gifts of the spirit in operation, when you see those things take place, don't, you better not despise prophesying. You better not forbid speaking in tongues. You better let God move as he moves and heed the move. But the problem is, is that we've got all of this whole generation of Christians that all they want to see are signs all the time. And we should see them. But they're led. They get all bent out of shape if there's not a sign. They get all bent out of shape if there's not a wonder. Here's the problem. Believers aren't called to walk by signs and wonders. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Signs and wonders should follow us. We shouldn't follow them. I want to say that again because it's an important point. Signs and wonders should follow us. We shouldn't follow them. There's believers all through the body that are trying to follow signs and wonders. I need, I need another sign and wonder to follow. I need another. That's why they conference hop. That's why they revival. That's why they church hop. This church got this going on. I'm going to go to that. But now it's done. I'm going to go over because this church got this going on. They conference hop. They church hop. They revival hop because they're following signs and wonders instead of signs and wonders following them. But signs and wonders don't follow you until you walk by faith and not by sight. Christina, that reference was 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And so the key being, signs and wonders, we should have them. They should follow us. But watch this. I'm not, my, my faith in Christ... Now, this is going to be huge for some people that are listening. My faith in Christ is not based upon whether or not I see a sign or wonder. It's not based on that. It's not based on that. It's based upon what the Bible says. This is this right here is why I believe in Christ. What the Bible says, what the Bible says. Now, in the New Testament, there were people that believed Jesus' name or believed on Jesus' name when they saw the miracles which he did, but they weren't Christians. You see that? They weren't Christians. They were sinners. And so for the sinner, when they see the reality of Christ through signs and wonders, it's a sign to them. It's a wonder. Let me ask you a question. If you're already in the restaurant, do you need to follow signs to get to the restaurant or are you already in it? See, if you're trying to get there, you get off the exit. You know, when you get off exits and you see those blue signs on the, on the road, it shows 
how many miles pointing to which restaurants off the exit? You know, Cracker Barrel, three miles this way. And then you know to take the right. Well, you needed a sign. You know why? You're not in Cracker Barrel yet, but you're trying to get there. You might be going down the road, see a billboard, Cracker Barrel, one mile to the right. You needed that sign because you're trying to get there. But if you're already sitting in Cracker Barrel, you don't need a sign to get there. You're already there. That's the same in Christianity. I don't need a sign to get in the kingdom. I don't need a sign to stay in the kingdom. I'm already in the kingdom. But there's people who aren't in the kingdom that need to see signs, that need to see wonders. The signs are to get them into the kingdom. And then, of course, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Christians that always need a sign have problems. Christians that always need a wonder have problems. That's problems. Because it shows you don't just believe the written word of God, which is the highest for that. People are always trying to get a prophetic word. I need another prophetic word. They use prophetic words like crack cocaine. I'm not even kidding. I've seen it. People jonesing for a prophetic word. I need a prophetic word. You got a word for me? You got a prophetic word? People using prophetic words like crack cocaine. And that's not, the word of God gives us all we need to be complete, to be equipped for every good work. Amen. And so stop, number two, stop seeking prophetic words. Stop seeking them. Receive them if they come to you, but judge them by the word. Let me give you another one quickly on that. If somebody gives you a word that doesn't line up with scripture, it's not from God. Can I say that again? If anyone ever gives you a word that doesn't line up with scripture, it's not from God. It's not from God because God won't contradict his own word. See, I'm glad I didn't like do five or seven things now. Because we're only on two and it's already 1140. <laughs> We'd have been here till like 3 p.m. God will never contradict his written word with a prophetic word. Ever. Ever. So all prophetic words are judged by the framework of the written word. All of them. Let me give you number three before we... Before we pray today, the third, now we're dealing with three extremely important things I wish all Christians knew. Three important things I wish all Christians knew. Number one was salvations are next door. Salvations are next door. The harvest is ripe and ready to be reaped. Number two, stop seeking prophetic words. Stop seeking prophetic words. Number three, this is the third one. Insignificant purpose does not exist. I'm going to say that again. We're going to break it down. Third thing I wish all Christians knew. Insignificant purpose does not exist. It's not, it's not even a thing. There is no such thing as insignificant purpose. This is a lie of the devil to discourage you from doing what God called you to do. It's a lie. I'm going to say it one more time. Insignificant purpose does not exist, doesn't exist. So first of all, how do we know that? Well, first, 
All purpose is established by God. I want you to put that in the comments. All purpose in the kingdom is established by God. All purpose in the kingdom is established by God, right? So if that's the case, if that's the case, how can it be insignificant if God established it? If God's the one that set it in your life, do you think God does insignificant things? Honestly, do you think your God does insignificant things? Absolutely not. Insignificant purpose does not exist. That's just a lie from the devil to make you feel like that what you're called to do is small, that nobody sees you, that is not making an impact, that you might as well not even do it. That's a lie. And I'm going to show it to you from scripture. So number one, number one, God establishes all purpose, all purpose. It's given to us by the Lord. And so let me, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. There is no such thing as insignificant purpose. Listen now. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Now listen to this, because this is where you need to get this revelation in your heart. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. Now, now look at verse 17, very important. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If your whole body was just eyes, how would you hear anything? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. You see that? As he chose. That's verse 18. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now look what he says here. Now this part right here ought to stir you up. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Catch this now. Indispensable. I want you to write this and know it's true. The part I play is indispensable. The part I play is indispensable. Put that in the comments right now. The part I play is indispensable. It's needed. It would be foolish for your feet to say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. And the hands can't say to the feet, because we're hands, we don't need you because you're not hands either. You need feet 
and you need hands. You need eyes and ears. You need a nose and a mouth. You need a heart and lungs. All parts of the body are indispensable. Amen. And so listen to me, because here's what the devil will do. He'll look at you and say, oh, what you're doing is so small. Nobody even notices. It's not important. You might as well not even do it. And then people get weary in well-doing, and they cancel their whole purpose that God established. God did it as he chose. He made you the member you are. So because of that, watch now, comparison is a killer. This is why we don't need to be comparing ourselves with each other because we are all indispensable, but very specific parts of one body, which is Christ. So why would I ever compare myself to someone else in the body and say, because I'm not doing what he's doing, what she's doing, my life's not important. My calling's not important. My purpose isn't important. What a lie of the devil. That's a lie from the devil to stop you from being who God made you to be. Comparison's a killer. It's a killer. And see, there, there's a difference between negative comparison and positive comparison, right? So if you notice there's another person in the body who does what I'm called to do, that does it or has been doing it longer, that's been doing it at a larger scale, more impactful than I am, you can use a positive comparison to grow. If I were to look at another evangelist that's been doing it longer than I have, that's more impactful than I am at this place, that's, more, that's doing it at a larger scale, you know what I can do? I can look at them and say, you know what, as they're following Christ, I can follow Christ and take a cue. That's why I wrote the book Further Faster, because there is power in impartation. I can learn from what somebody else has done rather than trial and error for 30 years. That's wisdom. But if I looked at somebody and said, you know what, because I'm not so-and-so, I'm not T.D. Jakes, I'm not Joel Osteen, I'm not, name any person you want to name. I'm not doing what they're doing, so I guess what I'm doing is not important. It's insignificant. Let me, let me tell you who's not going to think what I'm doing is insignificant. When I get to heaven and every person that has come to Christ through this ministry comes and says, thank you for preaching the truth. Thank you for staying faithful. I wouldn't have been here in, in heaven unless you had done what God called you to do. When I go to heaven and see the people that are there because I was faithful to do what I was created to do, they'll know. This was not unimportant. This was not uh, insignificant. It was a life-changing thing for the people that God called me to. Same needs to be said for you. And, and, it, and it's true at every level. It's true no matter what God called you to do. Maybe you're musically inclined and you've given your gifts and talents to the Lord and you're a praise and worship leader. Maybe you sing in the choir. Maybe you go and you minister to the children at your church. Maybe, uh, you know, whatever it might be. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. As you're giving your time to the kingdom, it's impacting the entire vision God has for his body and for his kingdom. And you can never look at that and say it's insignificant. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. Let me give you this last thing about this before we pray today. 
And that is this, within your call, within your purpose, within your anointing, and I want you to write it in the comments, productivity is not optional. Put it down. Fruitfulness, productivity, increase, growth, it's not optional. It's not optional. God has an expectation for every member of the body. If not, if there's not growth, if there's not productivity, if there's not increase, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Imagine if, you know, now I'm 38. Imagine if I grew and the rest of my body grew all getting stronger, all growing with me as I grow, except my feet refused to. And I still had three-year-old feet. Can you imagine that? I'm 38. Every other part of my body has grown to where it's supposed to be, but I have the same feet I did when I was three years old. They wouldn't be able to handle this body. They would not be able to handle this body. Or my heart. Imagine if I had the same heart I did when I was a newborn or when I was one year old. Imagine that. You know what's a really a, a miraculous thing? That we have people that log on to the broadcast that are like, we have like 20 different screen names, but somehow miraculously they all have the exact same cash app. They all have the exact same cash app. It's amazing. Shows you how valid and real it is. Imagine if I had a one-year-old heart and a 38-year-old body. I wouldn't be able to sustain a 38-year-old body with a one-year-old heart. You see what I mean? Productivity, increase, fruitfulness is not optional. You're called to increase every single year, every month. And so we can never, see, because here's what will happen. People start to think that they're insignificant, that their ministry is, that their calling is, that their purpose is, and then what do they do? They stop focusing on it because they don't believe it's important. This is why keeping the vision in front of your face of how vital what you're called to do is, is so important. Because if you don't keep it in front of your eyes, the importance and the urgency of what you're called to do, you'll stop focusing on that and say, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. I've seen people that treat their gifts and their talents that way. They'll put them down and never touch them again for three years. And they're still at the same place five years later as where they were when you saw them five years ago. Why? They've believed the lie that that gift, that, that talent, what God's placed in them isn't really that important. And so as a result, they stop. They stop developing it. That's demonic. Lack of development is demonic. Jesus sees it as wickedness. <laughs> I mean, you know I've taught that on this broadcast multiple times. Jesus sees it as wickedness. How do we know that from scripture? From Matthew 25, from the parable of the talents. Because when he came, the master came back to, 
Look at what his three servants had done. The one who had five talents turned it into 10. He said, well done. The one who had two talents turned it into four. He said, well done. The one who had one talent buried it into the ground. And then when he came back, just gave the exact same thing back to his master. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. Wicked and lazy. Think about that. He equated laziness and no productivity, no increase, no growth with wickedness. He said, take what was given to him away from him. Give it to the one who has 10. And then take this servant, cast him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about that. Strong, strong imagery. Because why? God's looking for people who will press in by faith and increase what he's put in their hands. Three things that I wish every Christian knew. Salvations are next door, number one. Salvations are next door. The harvest is ripe and ready to be reaped. There are people all around you that are ready to say yes if you'll just do what God asked you to do. If you'll become urgent and bold and full of love, motivated by the love of heaven. There's people all around you at work, school, in your family, in your neighborhood, your neighbors that are ready to say yes if you would pursue them with boldness, urgency, and with love. The harvest is ripe and ready. Number two, stop seeking prophetic words. Receive them, judge them by the written word, but walk by faith and not by sight. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Obey the word of God that's written. Be led by the Spirit. If you feel like you need direction, fast and pray. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Stop conference hopping. Don't run around from revival to revival. Do you have a prophetic word for me? Do you? There's people I've seen their whole lives screwed up because they get all these prophetic words that were never from God in the first place. And then they base their whole life on something that some nut job told them in the hallway of a church one time. Hallway prophets, bathroom prophets, Facebook prophets. You understand? You've got the Holy Ghost. You've got the giver of the gifts. You've got the ability to hear the voice of God and be led by the Spirit. And then number three, finally, the third thing is insignificant purpose does not exist. What you're called to do is important. It's powerful. God gave it to you for a purpose. You matter in the kingdom. The part you're playing is life or death for many people. Be encouraged. You're anointed. You're filled with the power of God and your purpose has been established by the Holy Ghost. Don't forget that. Don't miss that. And then now that you know it, increase it, grow it, produce with it, be fruitful with it. God will reward you for being faithful with the talents and the gifts and the calling he's placed upon your life. Let me pray for every person that's watching today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, praying for all of the Victory Tribe, your precious people, those watching, those listening on the podcast, I'm asking you now that you would, number one, give us a fresh boldness to win souls. Give us an urgency and a love for people to see these salvations next door begin to pop. We'll be soul winners like we never have before. We will fill seats in our church with people that we have personally won to Jesus Christ. Give us that from this day forward in Jesus' name. Lord, let us be led by your spirit, not led by people, not led by words that are not even from you. Let us be led by the Holy Ghost 
Give us a hunger and a desire, not just to read the word, but to obey the word in Jesus name. And then Lord, I pray that you would give us a desire to please you with our calling, please you with our purpose to be productive supernaturally. We thank you that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. Promotion comes from the Lord and you decide who will rise and who will fall. That's what your word says. And so let us be in position for promotion before February comes to an end. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen wherever you are. Throw some hands and fire in the comment section if you believe and receive it. And let me encourage you on this Monday as we start a new week to sow a seed today by faith. We've got the information on the screen and I'm encouraging people to partner with us at a greater level. You know what? Maybe God's blessed you. I believe the Lord's speaking to people right now to increase their partnership. Some of you have been partnering. We've had people just this last week. This is kind of tipping me off that the Lord's dealing with people that have contacted and said, you know what? I've been standing with you at a certain amount every month, but the Lord spoke to me to increase that. We just had somebody uh, come to me uh, just a couple of days ago and said that I've been standing with you at $50 a month, but the Lord spoke to me. I want to step up into that $85 a month. There's others that have jumped from 85 to 200, 250, 400, 500. Do what the Lord's telling you to do. Maybe you're watching and you've not yet taken that step of faith to partner with me and Carolyn, Miracle Word Ministries. I want to encourage you to. We're feeding hundreds of children every day. Now we're on television as you saw in that video, we'll play it again in a moment, around the world preaching the gospel every week. And I'm just telling you, this is the greatest time to invest in souls that there ever was. Jesus is coming soon. What you're sowing right now is making an internal difference, an eternal impact in the kingdom. Of course, the Lord blesses you. Of course he does. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. There's no clearer proof that you seek him than the fact that you're willing to sow financially into the kingdom. You know how I know? Because those seeds represent your entire life. What you do for work, the paycheck you receive, that is a representation of your life and your time. When you sow those seeds into the kingdom, that represents your whole life. People say the last thing to get redeemed in somebody after they get saved is their wallet. I understand the concept. It's because it represents everything about who you are. And so I want to encourage you today to stand with us in partnership. Sow seeds and sow largely. Do what will take your faith. Please God with what you're sowing. And those of you that are watching, you can see if you're listening on the podcast, uh, I'll just read this. Thank you, uh, Kim, for sowing that seed. Thank you, Ben, for continuing to sow. I love you, man. Um, MiracleWord.com is our website. That's where you can uh, sow seed online. All of the ways to give are listed at MiracleWord.com. If you'd like to use PayPal anywhere in the world, there's the email address. Cash app is available. MWGive is the cash tag. It's the same with Venmo. MWGive is the... uh, the tag for Venmo as well. If you're watching on Periscope or Facebook, you can use hashtag donate as Kim did to sow a seed into the ministry. For those of you that are sowing in this month, 
we're going to be sending you this book by Brother Hagin. I believe one of the greatest books he wrote. It's called Understanding the Anointing. Understanding the Anointing. It's very vital that Christians understand the power of God and how he moves, how he works. And this book is an eye opener. He'll talk to you about things in this book that you've never maybe even thought of before, but it'll, it'll not only encourage you, it'll teach you. And the way you can get that, if you've sown online, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, fill out the form so we know where to send the book. Uh, And then of course, those of you that continue to sow largely, maybe it's your first time sowing a seed of a thousand dollars or more. I want to put into your hand what I believe is one of the greatest study tools that we have right now, the Life Application Study Bible, genuine leather in uh, the New Living Translation. I'm going to sign it and send it to you as my way of saying thank you for sowing seeds into the kingdom of God. And I know you're blessed. We keep getting testimonies time after time of people that are getting blessed and increasing because of the seeds that they're sowing. That encourages me, blows my mind to see people uh, that are activating God's system of blessing in the kingdom. That's sowing and reaping. It will never end, the Bible says, until uh, Jesus comes. And then even then, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. The devil can't stop your harvest. That's a powerful thought. Thank you, Bill. The devil can't stop your harvest. Um, If you'd like to join us live, as many people are doing this year in these crusades, in these revivals, in these meetings, go to miracleword.com, click on the schedule page and check out where we're gonna be. I wanna see you live and in person. I'll see the Victory Tribe. It's great to see uh, Miss Lynn Ann and others. She flew in from California to be with us this week in in, uh, revival. And uh, it's exciting, man, to see people coming and being a part. We want to meet you in person. We love you guys a lot. I'll be back again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. I want to I try to love to have my father on with me this week to talk some more about the gifts of the Spirit and whatever he'd like to talk about uh, to have him on. I believe we're going to have a special guest that I'll be announcing soon on Thursday morning. And then, of course, Friday uh, we'll be in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Saturday and Sunday. But uh, I love you guys so much. And I'll talk to you again tomorrow morning, 1030. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.